Hi, I'm Jason Hatcher, Managing Principal at Navigator's Western Offices. I'm excited to welcome you back to the Western Edge, a new podcast by Navigator in Western Canada. We are very excited to be joined today by one of the greatest football players Canada has ever seen. John Cornish is a former running back who played nine seasons with the Calgary Stampeders, bringing home two great cups. He won numerous awards, broke many records, won the Lou Marsh Trophy as Canada's top athlete, and has been inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. After his playing career, John had many opportunities, but decided to stay in Canada. In fact, he decided to stay in Calgary to start the next chapter of his post-football life. John has been a leader in diversity and inclusion in the city of Calgary, and most recently co-founded the Calgary Black Chambers. We are so pleased to have him join us today. You've heard it before, the West wants in. This is the Western Edge. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me, Jason. So, John, you had uh, uh, before we jump into some of the things you're up to today, we've got to have a quick look at at, uh, at your career, um, especially this uh, with the recent announcement of the CFL. Uh, they're, they've announced the new season. I think it's 14 games. Hamilton in December for a Grey Cup. That could be a little chilly. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I am a. Uh... Very excited about the season to start up. I mean, everybody's been sort of missing football. And, and the truth is, Jason, like, I don't really watch sports outside of CFL football. Interesting. You know, yeah. like, so, so you know, all these sports, oh, yeah, NFL starting back up, hockey, all this. And it's just like, I mean, I, for, in, in, for all intents and purposes in my life, sports has not existed since the uh, 2019 Grey Cup. That's a long, a long, over a year now. We're almost pushing a year and a half without sports. And I mean, I know sports isn't everything to everybody, but it's sure for those who are interested, it's a, it's an important sort of pastime that must have been challenging for you over the last year. Yeah, I'm, I mean, like, I'm, I'm not the biggest sports guy myself, but even when I was uh, playing, it was mostly game film for research purposes and, and those kinds of things that I was watching. Um, but, you know, I still, I still really love the enjoyment of of going to a game of, of tailgating of grabbing a hot dog and a beer of seeing thousands of people in one spot you know the the ups and downs of any given game i mean the, the cfl they always say no lead is safe um but but how that actually plays out in terms of the audience's energy in the stadium it, it, i think for me especially uh, being a, a longtime stampeder we've been very blessed with a good team but still even having that great team, you'll still see those ups and downs, that back and forth, and and that that's what I really miss. Because uh, you know, uh, you know, so I know a lot of football players, ex athletes, will say, you know, finishing a business deal is very similar to you know scoring a touchdown, and I would agree with that. However, there is something for me personally, especially acting as an ambassador for the Stampeders, uh, being down on the field feeling the the yells, the screams of, of the fans and, you know, hearing the smashing of the pads, you know, that all is, it's been such a large part of my life and it, it was definitely missing over the last few months. Well, and, and, you know, it's those ups and downs because like, it's a community, right? I mean, the audience becomes a community in and of itself and the moans and the groans and the cheers. I mean, it, it's got to be very, uh, very invigorating. Do you sort of, as, as training camps approach, do you sort of get that itch a little bit? Do you find yourself uh, maybe exercise a little more or, or starting to go down that path? No, it's been so long now. Like, and, guess, eh? and the, the truth is, I mean, the, the way I retired, uh, I retired at 30 with no real, like, I, you know, the last game I played, I got player of the game. So, so it just, 
Yeah, it's it's for me. I never sort of lost. Uh, I can play. You know, there was no point in t- time where I questioned while I was playing that. You know, can I still do this? Should I still be doing this? I was able to walk away and sort of at this point now, it was almost six years hence. Um, I wake up without any pain. Um, you know, I'm 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 on the uh, the Calgary Stampeders um, alumni board. And so see all these guys, you know, they moan and groan about this and that. And to just be, to sort of feel like I'm still 28. Uh, you know, I'm the lightest I've, I've been since I started playing uh, professional football, Jason. So, you know, I, I feel like I still got it. And, and because of oh, that, I never want to question. I never want to question it by going back on the field. I can feel it. I can tell people it. And I'll never show if I do actually still have it. I've, I'm a little older than you. I found as, as I get older, that could be a dangerous thing. I've nearly hurt myself a bunch of times trying to keep up with kids. But look, you know, building off that, building off that community that's, that's you know, starting to come back together now. Uh, I mean, you had a great career in football, as we've already discussed. Um, but when you retired, why stay in Calgary? I mean, we see a lot of athletes that spend times in, in, in a number of cities across Canada, but often then they move on. I mean, you, you had spent some time in the States, I think at the University of Kansas or Kansas State, if I'm not mistaken. What made you stay here? Well, I mean, the, the truth was I left uh, Vancouver at the age of 17, you know, tack on five years on the University of Kansas. And then I get drafted by the Calgary Stampeders. Um, and then I played for the Stampeders for nine years. So, I mean, basically... I almost had half my life outside of Vancouver already when I was going to make that decision. Um, but the truth is, I mean, the network um, that I had built up, I mean, I'd worked at the bank in Calgary already for three years prior to retirement. Um, you know, I, I was connected And we're all to about city. shameless plugs here. You're with yeah. the Royal Bank, right? Yeah, I'm with the Royal Bank now. Yeah, if I'm seen as an investment advisor, running family-run, family-focused uh, wealth management practice with my wife. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I met her. Um, the day after I retired. Right. So, so I had already lined up a bank job um, sort of, you know, so I was working in the branch and then I had gotten an office job um, with the TD private investment council uh, where I was there for three years, but that's where I met my wife. Um, so, so, you know, let, let's just talk about that, that first day in the office, you know, I have my retirement press conference. You now, John, you're one of the best football players. All, yada, yada, yada. Right. And then I go into the office. They don't have my logins for me. So it's like, John, here's a stack of paper. Can you remove the paper clips? Can you remove all the staples? And so I'm just over here, you know, well-dressed. I had some nice suits, <laughs> just like this is the only thing I could do. So I was really questioning what I was doing retiring for football. So that was actually, that was a, the only about one hour that I did question that. So while I was doing that, this person walks past, you know, beautiful dress, long hair, dark skin. And, and I see her and I'm just like, okay, retirement's not going to be so bad. And that, that person eventually becomes my wife. Oh, that's an amazing story. So, you know, when, when we think about Calgary, I mean, you talked about why you stayed here a little bit, you've kind of set up a base, but what is it people don't know about Calgary? I mean, I mean, hmm. Canada's full of stereotypes as we know, but, but what is it about Calgary in the West that, that, that really anchored you here? Um, I would say the number one thing, you know, people talk about the entrepreneurial spirit of Alberta. Everybody knows the entrepreneurial spirit of Alberta. However, um, I, I think it goes one step further. Um, when you have levels of success, um, you start measuring yourself by different metrics. And this is the metric that I'd like to talk about, you know, in terms of 
giving in terms of money given back to our communities, uh, foundations and uh, community groups, nonprofits. Alberta is like near the top, if not number one, in terms of money returned uh, to community groups. And for me, like I, I did a, a function up in Lacombe uh, where we helped build them a, a football facility. Now it's actually like they, they gave so much money over the years that it is now a, a world class sports facility up in Lacombe. Um, but that's just that's just one small place. I do a lot of work in uh, Cochrane. Uh, you know, we've uh, we've raised so much money. The Boys and Girls Club there got washed away uh, in the flood in 2013. We've rebuilt it, uh, you know, sort of focusing on a senior's home there now. Uh, and then looking in Calgary, you know, I, I've been working with the Alberta Children's Hospital. Um, actually, I started volunteering with the Children's Hospital while I was still playing football. So the football team always had their, where they'd go and send players in. Well, I was actually a, a properly vetted, properly authorized red uh, shirt volunteer uh, where I would go pushing around the cart playing video games with kids. Um, and, and I also did work with Woods Homes and their kids. And then, uh, you know, like sort of just getting more and more involved eventually with the Calgary Foundation, where I now sit on the uh, uh, Doc Seaman Hockey Fund board, where we're distributing funds to athletic organizations and, and, and groups around the country. Um, so, so that aspect is why I stayed in Calgary, because the people here want to give back. The people here are good and they know that, uh, you know, I always have, have used the phrase noblesse oblige. If you have the ability to give back, you should give back as much as you can. You know, it, it's, I remember when I moved to Calgary 20 years ago, many people said that to me and you have to live it and experience it to understand it. I got involved, very involved with the United Way and shared the board there. And I mean, we were the second largest uh, United Way in the country. And you wouldn't think that Calgary's not the second city, but they've raised close to $50 million some years. And it's, it's absolutely incredible. Now being on the, the, the Canada board of directors, the United Way, you, you see the same thing. They're awfully often modeling uh, Alberta. It, it, it's true. If you're here and you succeed, you're, you're obligated to give back. It, mm -hmm. it really feels in a positive way, that obligation. But, you know, moving sort of perhaps to, to looking at some of the diversity inclusion work that you've done, because you've truly been a leader. Uh, and diversity and inclusion in this city and, and really I think pioneered and showed the way for for a lot of athletes uh, not just within the CFL you know June being pride month it's a great time to talk about diversity and inclusion it's always a great time to talk about diversity and inclusion but you know maybe we'll start with with uh, with 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 pride month you were involved with uh, you can play I think it was called uh, which was yep. uh, an organization within CFL uh, helping to support LGBTQ T2S folks I think that was around 2012 maybe just talk a little bit about your journey in that space and why you got involved yeah um, you know I think it all started because I had a uh, just sort of a random question asked by a, a, a LGBTQ magazine um, and they uh, they asked you know I was like do you think the CFL is ready for a gay athlete and I I pretty much told him straight up, no, um, you know, the, the use of uh, derogatory language one, but the general ideas um, that were circulated in locker rooms, I, I didn't feel were safe. Um, and then, uh, you know, I get introduced um, to uh, the You Can Play group, who's just trying to create safe locker rooms for athletes. So it doesn't matter if you can play, you can play. Um, but the, uh, uh, the work I did with them eventually be moving on to uh, become the Western Canada board chair, um, like sort of, sort of helped me understand that, you know, people don't really understand all their biases, all, all their unconscious issues. And so like dis 
breaking that down takes a lot of work. Uh, and the, the number one way you can you can work towards that is just by being there, listening, and actually providing space to actually get these issues out. Let's talk about these issues. These are real. And I think that sort of started uh, sort of this momentum that's been gained now where um, it's like, if you look at, uh, you know, I, I was actually asked this the other day, when do you think the next, the first gay athlete is going to be out and, and actively playing? I, I don't think it's too far from now, um, but back in 2012, they would have said, Oh, hopefully next year. But what was, what was seen is there were still so many things in the way. And I think one of the biggest things was actually the media attention paid to this gay athlete because you know what what business is your sexuality does any other oh yeah i was with this girl last night do you ever hear football players talk about that in the media like it's not it's not something so i I think the media needs to understand that like listen your sexuality is your business let's see how well you can play this game And, and sort of that transitions now happened you see it in the high school levels where there's been a lot more inclusivity a lot less bullying and uh, so I think all that sort of supported uh, the case for uh, gay professional athletes within the next few years. Yeah, it's interesting because not everybody wants that spotlight on them. And, and, and you know, we still got a long way to go to, to get to where we need to go. But, you know, you took on some of that spotlight uh, for the community, if you will. I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you took the Grey Cup to the first gay sports bar, uh, first time it made an appearance at a gay sports bar, which was incredible of itself that it's taken that long. What was that experience like? Well, you can see uh, this uh, this picture I have up over uh, over my shoulder, yeah. uh, just the one in the middle of there. That's my wife and I. Uh, you know, we had the the commissioner Jeffrey Orridge there, um, and the place was packed. Yeah. Um, it was something that needed to happen. It was a bridge that needed to be crossed, and and I was so honored that I had the opportunity to do that. Um, you know, both through my association with the You Can Play group, but then then like my mom, uh, you know, being married to a woman. Uh, you know, like my sister having formerly been with a with a with a woman, you know, th- this was something that like it was ground that needs to be broken. And, and for us to show as a CFL that we are an inclusive group, that we want everybody to come enjoy this wonderful game. Uh, you know, I thought that was for me. Uh, it was definitely I mean, like like I said, we have this picture up on my wall. Uh, you know, I've posted the picture online numerous times. It's a it is definitely a landmark uh, event in my life. You know, there's one thing to tackle that that outright bias, that outright discrimination, but it's that unconscious piece that it, it, you know it's been so important that we start. I think really only started tackling you know in re, in the recent months in, in the last couple of years. You know, going down that road, how was how, how did your teammates, how did others in the in the league react to to you, you t- making that move to strikers? Uh, you know, I, I think I was actually. Yeah, so I was with my wife, so that means I was retired, which meant it was it was pretty safe for me to do so. However, uh, the work I was doing while I was playing with You Can Play did, you know, like a lot of people try to call me a lot of different names. I mean, the, one of the one of the problems that people ran into is that sort of uh, mentally it was hard to get into my head. I think that the number one way you could insult me was to say I was soft because I actually really was soft. Like I didn't like to hit people, and so when they tried to hit me, I would just just give way. Um, so, so that was the number one insult against me. But when I was doing the, you can play stuff, you know, like Cornish, are you gay? You know, one, one of the things that I really tried to combat was, um, within the locker room, the use of the word, the, the F word yeah. is, a, is, a, is a slur. So I tried to eliminate its use and, you know, I would just, Hey, Hey, don't, don't use that word. 
And I did get, I didn't, it didn't result in the physical altercation, but listen, if you're going to say it's not, this is a safe locker room, then it has to apply in all cases, no matter who uses it. And so there's one gentleman I had to address and he was significantly hundred pounds heavier than me, uh, significantly thicker. And, and, and I would not survive a physical altercation with this person. Um, but I had to stand my ground. If we wanted to make our locker room a safe space, I had to stand the ground. So, so it was, it was, it was tough, but like, you know, I went back to my uh, 2007 experience first getting into the locker room, having to protect myself against, uh, you know, different uh, hazing. Hazing isn't really a thing then and now, but it, it was back in 2008 when those guys that had hazing allowed, yeah. uh, you know, you have to stand your ground. And, and, and fortunately I was able to stand my ground and it sort of, I, I thought by the time I retired, it was a, it was a pretty safe locker room. If we had had a, 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 a person on the spectrum, I think that would have actually been okay. I mean, I, 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 I'm interested in seeing if, if there's ever a trans football player, professional football player, but I mean, that, that's a bridge that will be crossed eventually, I think. Well, you'll hardly ever be described as soft uh, for being an ally, but maybe we'll just con continue down that, that, that sort of path of being an ally and being an advocate because uh, it's not just uh, for the gay community, the LGBTQ2S community that you've been an advocate for. Obviously, we've seen the rise of, of the Black Lives uh, Matter movement. Um, the triggers to that are obviously some pretty horrific events that happened outside of Canada, but nevertheless uh, raised important issues for, for us here in Canada. And they continue to do. We've seen it recently with, uh, with, with residential schools and the horrific discovery in Kamloops. Uh, Navigator recently launched Empower, which is a Black Youth uh, Public Affairs Fellowship, aiming to break down barriers and preventing Black students from pursuing careers in, in, in my field, public affairs. But you started the Calgary Black Chamber of Commerce. I'm a member of, of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce, and I'm just wondering how that came about, and 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 why why you thought this was so important. Yeah, I find myself having to correct a lot. Uh, Calgary Black Chambers, that's it. Right. We have we have Sorry. we have association with the uh, the Chamber of Commerce because explicitly we aren't uh, uh, trying to you know enrich. You, you know, like what we're trying to do is establish a base platform for which, you know, uh, people can meet to, to partner uh, through our fellowship group um, to, to advocate for change. So, you know, like one of the big things is uh, education right now. Black educators in this province barely exist, way below our, our representation as, as they should be. Why is that? Because there was no black educators to show black people that there was educators. There's one problem. There's one black principal in Alberta. Right. It, one. Is, wow. is one. Um, so so like there's there's a systemic issue in education. What ends up happening is even good students get told they can't go to university. Right. I, I did a presentation to all of Calgary's uh, guidance counselors and they had never received EDI training. I, education is a huge one, because if we can start sort of putting more black people into higher positions, that, that's great. So that's what we're also working on is is uh, sort of uh, creating internships creating uh, board positions uh, in different groups so we can get some black voices heard. Uh, and that's all the advocacy group is doing. And then, uh, you know, sort of focusing on uh, mentorship to really help those kids that don't have it um, sort of support that they should. I mean, I, I know for me, and this is why our, our mentorship group is actually, uh, it's, it's, it's all inclusive. It's, it's not black or anything. It's, it's all inclusive. Um, I know I wouldn't be where I am today 
Um, so I was given a path out of football because of one of my mentors. I was given a path in football because of one of my mentors. My whole life has been predicated on somebody reaching out and giving back to me. So, so that's why our mentorship program is, is available. So it's currently available at Father Lacombe School. Where we just finished up our first term. And now that with the Catholic School Board, we'll be expanding to form additional schools in the next term. So if you want a mentor, uh, you know, reach out calgaryblackchambers.ca. You know, we're looking for more mentors as we continue to expand that program. Um, oh, and that's then, exciting. And then lastly, our scholarships. Like, uh, like, you know, if I didn't have a scholarship, could I have gone to, to university? Single parent household, five kids. Could I have gone to university? So uh, we established, uh, we've actually established 15 scholarships. And actually today is the last day uh, they're available for application. I know this won't, won't be live, but, uh, uh, you know, maybe for the next year, when you hear about uh, uh, this, this podcast, you know, we'll check out the scholarships and uh, we'll have uh, probably even more available for, for the next year. So all those things that we're doing are trying to create a platform so we can have greater Black representation, greater Black voices heard. And, and I think most importantly, uh, you know, sort of add to the, the, the cultural diversity of this city. And so, yes, uh, like I said, associations with the, the Chamber of Commerce, Black people, uh, you know, coming together to, to create new partnerships and, and new companies, those kinds of things. But primarily, we want to provide that, that base and most importantly, the space to sort of express ideas in a safe way, especially after the George Floyd passing. Um, you know, that was one thing our members really talked about was that, like, they actually had a space to sort of communicate their ideas without that judgment. And then when they do, did communicate with others, they were much more informed, much better able to speak their pieces. Well, some great opportunities for, for folks to get involved in, and we'll certainly promote that as a part of that. Maybe just a last question, John, and I think you sort of touched on this a little bit, but you know, it's something that I take for granted, you know, seeing, seeing people that, that look like me in positions of authority and, and, and positions of uh, the ability that you want to kind of aspire to. How important is it for, you mentioned teachers and you mentioned the lack of black educators, how important is it for uh, uh, folks to see themselves in, in those who have authority or those who have success in our society. No, uh, tremendously important. Um, you know, I, I was uh, privileged to be uh, one of the organizers for a employee resource group at, at when I, a former bank, I won't mention names. Um, the, the group, unfortunately, well, I was, you know, trying to organize events and it was like, okay, let's, let's interview the different black executives at this company. Right. And so, so we, we, we interviewed the person that actually set up the Black Employee Network. So one, she was a higher, higher up executive. And then we interviewed a pretty low level, you know, uh, manager. And then that was it. Right. So, so, so from there, I was like, I was already working in the office space. And I realized like the, black, the locker room and the football team, yeah, just half black. Right. And then you get out into the real world and it's like, oh, this is a lot different than I expected. I saw a black person here, a black person here, a black person there. Right. So I was like, why not just put them all in one space? Um, and so so that's why we started the chambers. But that was that was the number one thing. It's just like we were not seeing any representation at higher levels of companies. Right. Uh, you know, one, one of the things we're working on is, is with the uh, Institute of, uh, of, of Directors is to actually provide a platform and a pathway for us to create more people that are able to be on those high high end boards, right? Mm -hmm. First, you start off at the chambers. We, we offer you a referral to another spot, get some experience there, work your way up at your own company. Uh, you know, maybe get a little bit more board experience, and, and then you're there, 
it's a long process, right? And, but the problem is, is that like nobody had started those processes till now. And it's super important. I know that the reason why I think representation is so important is because my own reason for being in Calgary in the first place, let's go back all the way to 2000, uh, 1996 when Donovan Bailey won the world championship in, right. in, in, in the hundred meter dash. It was like, oh, we can, we can do this. Right. And that was provided me. I knew I could do this. Somebody had already done this. And that's why I came to Calgary to win the Lou Marsh trophy. Right. <laughs> Playing in the States. I didn't yeah. think I would get the same kind of opportunity. Right. So, so that level of representation, just as one guy was able to propel me to this level. So let's continue that. Let's keep on putting this diverse boards together, uh, diverse uh, uh, television casts together. Uh, and so you can see yourself doing that someday. That's why we need more black teachers. So black kids actually become educators. And so that's that's the biggest gap we're seeing right now. And so that's that's why I'm not going to tell black kids to, to become educators. Um, you know, immigrants are um, uh, they normally tell their kids, oh, yeah, become a lawyer, become a doctor. Great, great professions. But we got to see some more black teachers. So we, we see ourselves becoming educators and representation across the board so we can see ourselves doing anything. Well, John, you know, thanks, thanks for so much for doing this. I think you've given us a lot to, to think about. Um, and thank you for what you're doing for our community uh, here in Calgary. We're going to proceed with our rapid fire questions. Uh, let's get right into it. You ready? Yep. Okay. Favorite piece to join? In town, uh, you know, 88 Breweries um, Noble Pie would be Noble number pie. one, followed closely by Zuri Pizza in the Northeast. Okay. Mountains or ocean? Uh, having grown up in Vancouver, uh, I like both. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> so here's maybe the hardest one I can give you. Kansas City Barbecue or Alberta Beef. Of oh. course, we never do them together. Uh, you know, so it's like, you know, if I could have, and you know, it's one of the things I enjoy the most about Alberta. We have actually have a few great uh, barbecue shops here now. Yeah. Um, you know, like, you know, in terms locally, uh, you know, I head down to uh, Hayden Block. Great barbecue sauce. Great. Um, but, but you know, for me, and like having spent so much time in Kansas, having planned out like to the restaurant, a diners, drive-ins and dives tour of the Southern, Southeast United States, I, I will say, you know, Kansas City barbecue, give me that Gates barbecue, give me that Arthur Bryant's, uh, you know, like there's nothing like that, that lip smack and tang, the, the ribbons, the, 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 beef that just falls apart yeah let, let's get some alberta beef down in kansas i like it i like it i'm getting hungry just thinking about it all right favorite hidden gem in calgary or in western canada for that matter yeah, just because it's been in the news lately a little bit i'm gonna say big hill springs park big hill springs. right like so so we are in a place in alberta that we have this wonderful park just kilometers away it's a complete escape from the city just minutes away um, you know, and, and we're actually at risk of, of losing it and having it turned into a gravel pit. So, so if you get out there, if it opens, if maybe you just ignore the open sign and, and just, just check out what, what Alberta, what the Calgary area used to look like. Um, what's your pop-up song? Best song on Spotify right now. Yeah. I think my favorite song right now, um, uh, Megan Thee Stallion thought. <laughs> there you go. Love it. Love it. Um, any superstitions that you want to reveal? Any pregame superstitions? And do you bring them to work now? Do you have to do them before you go into Royal Bank? Um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's superstition much, but like the 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 value of ritual cannot be uh, understated. Um, 
you know, I would say there's actually one game, and I'm not going to name my uncle's name, but he uh, he kept on harassing me before I was warming up, like for the game. And you know, you just look, hey, come talk, come come talk. I've been so long since I seen you. It's like I have things to do right now, <laughs> right? So so the, like my my pregame ritual involved, you know, uh, uh, meditating, uh, you know, for a good thirty minutes, and it was a it was a focused meditation. So I wasn't just looking at my breath. I was, I was, let's say, uh, uh, embodying. Um, and then, uh, you know, so after that was done, you know, I get to the stadium, hot tub, cold tub, hot tub, like just loosening up the body. And then, uh, you know, getting my good stretch on, both aided by uh, by a trainer and then not, you know, having that ritual was so key. But then sort of moving into the work-life balance. Now the real life, you know, waking up, having my coffee, having a nice shower. You know, I, I might spend 30 minutes, you know, like, you know, between, you know, in the bathroom, just getting getting prepped up, just nice and comfortable, steamy times. And then, you know, sort of show up, show up for work and just enjoy myself. Like, I think having a ritual that you stick to allows you to sort of cue your mind up to do whatever you have to do. Well put, well put. Last but not least, a, a favorite sport or favorite activity outside of football? Because you mentioned you weren't big into sport. Oh. Well, I mean, it's still football. It's flag football. I mean, for me, my number one favorite <laughs> sport ever is flag football. Um, you know, like, yeah, I think Calgary actually has one of the best flag football leagues in the world, right? Really? Like, we we are we are legit in the flag football. However, anytime somebody's asked me to come play, I have to say no because you know, at the end of the day, the one number one thing I don't want happening is somebody pulling my flag and saying, I tackled John. Gotcha, Coach. That's where we started. <laughs> you went out on top and you're going to stay that way. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Really enjoyed this conversation. Some really important topics in there to unpack. Beautiful. Thank, thanks so much for having me, Jason. You know, I, I'm doing uh, you know my, my investment management gig now. Like I said, family focus, family run. Uh, we're helping a lot of families uh, you know, meet their goals. The same way I met my goals in life, we're doing the same for others. So thank you very much for having me, Jason. Have and uh, you know all the best with the Navigator Podcast. Thanks so much. Western Edge is powered by Navigator, Canada's leading high-stakes public affairs firm. Our show today was produced by Catherine Moore. Kayla Duty, John Gardner, and Kim Drabeck. A very special thank you goes to John Cornish for joining us today. Tune in every Friday over the summer to listen to the latest episode of The Western Edge.